Hello and welcome to the Double Double. My name is David Dixon and it is Saturday, March 6th here in New York City. Hope everyone is doing well. They're staying safe and healthy as uh, we are now, I guess, one year to uh, when the pandemic started. Hope everyone's still doing well. Uh, Come up today on the podcast is a really fun discussion I had with my uh, buddy Matt Starr. We are officially at the halfway point of the NBA season. We are at the All-Star break. The game is being played uh, Sunday night down in Atlanta. And the Knicks, the New York Knickerbockers, are above 500. And for people who aren't from New York or who don't root for the Knicks, don't understand how big of a deal this is. People are celebrating in the streets, planning parades. Maybe the most excited a city has ever been over a probable first-round playoff exit. But I had to talk to him about the Knicks and just some other uh, NBA thoughts here as we were at the midway point. So I'll hit the music when we come back is my discussion with Matt from earlier today. All right, joining me now, we promised it a couple months ago that if the Knicks continued and we're having a good season, we would bring him back on to discuss all things NBA, but especially New York Knicks. From his humble abode up the eastern coast, up in Maine, my good friend, Matthew Starr. Matt, what's going on? <laughs> humble abode is right. That is the absolute appropriate way to describe uh, my situation up here, but all is well. I, I have n- nothing to complain about. Very lucky um, and very grateful. And you can add to the to the grateful list. For the first time in 10 years, it, it feels like the Knicks are in the playoff hunt. All right, all right, all right, all right. Let me stop you right there. Let me stop you right there with the 500 and in, in the playoffs hunt talk. Okay, or can I stop you or do, do you have like a spiel? Well, okay. Well, just, just for the listeners, we, we are officially at the All-Star break. We're recording this Saturday, March 6th. This will come out Sunday morning before the All-Star game that we played. Uh, so we're basically at the halfway point of the NBA season, the 72-game season. Uh, the Knicks are fifth in the Eastern Conference. They are 19-18. and 18, uh, Surprising a whole lot of people, including the entire city of New York and the whole NBA, maybe. The Eastern Conference is kind of a mess in the middle, but the Knicks are fifth in the East, which has not happened at this point of the season since... The 2012-2013 Carmelo Anthony-led uh, team with Tyson Chandler, J.R. Smith. Uh, so just this is rare for, for Knicks fans to be in this situation in early March. Okay. So, yeah, I, so on that note, can I, give you, can I give you a few headlines on my foundation? Sure. Okay, so you know how like Simmons does half-ass internet research. Yes. Yeah, this is this isn't even like a quarter of that. This is like a tenth tenth of uh, tenth of an ass inter- internet research. But I, I googled near the New York Knicks, and these were a few of the headlines on the front page. Um, I, I want to read them to you, and I want um, you to tell me how they describe any a team that's even a morsel different than that which we discussed. Okay. Um, a few months ago. Okay, you ready? I'm ready. First headline: Knicks can sit by fan sided, fan sided. 
Knicks considered front runners in Andre Drummond trade. Number two, by the Daily Knicks blog, could Luka Doncic force his way to the Knicks in a trade? Question mark. Number three, by the New York Post, Clyde Frazier would have been flabbergasted by this madness before. Number four, the Knicks are going big on a high-tech shot tracking system. And that, then number that's five, important. By Slate. Wait, are the Knicks good now? So can I tell you what I hear there? Sure. In that order, Drummond. The Knicks are pursuing an overpriced superstar. That's more um, That's more style than substance. Does that sound new? Well, I don't think it sounds new, does it? Okay. Continue. So number two, Luka Doncic. Is Luka Doncic forcing his way to the Knicks via trade? Too early to tell. Okay. It sounds it sounds like the ridiculous, unfounded optimism that we talked about with Giannis, right? Uh-huh. Or not. Okay, number three. Clyde Frazier is basically just done with watching the ridiculous brand of basketball that uh, the Knicks have put on the court. Is that new or old? Is he... Well, first of all, the New York Post is only <laughs> is only relevant when discussing page six. Um, and that is it. Okay. 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 So let, we can throw that one out for the sake of argument. Mm-hmm. The Knicks are going big on a high tech shot tracking system. I'll get to that in a second. And then wait, are the Knicks good now? Um, I, I think overpriced superstar, ridiculous optimism. Clyde Drexler, uh, not Clyde Drexler. Um, maybe Clyde Drexler is done with the Knicks too. I don't know. But Clyde <laughs> Frazier, <laughs> Clyde Frazier, um, being jaded and spending a ton of money on something that is, I'd say, noticeably less fundamental to winning than I don't know, having a shrewd, like, <laughs> shrewd long term, uh, long term plan for the franchise. Sounds pretty freaking Knicks-ish to me. All of that. And it sounds so, pretty freaking Knicks-ish in the way that we discussed. So please, tell me how exactly this is any different than any other disappointing Knicks season that we've been lucky enough to witness. Sure. So so the first thing that is makes it not disappointing is they're over 500 and are in prime playoff position. Number one. Number two... I don't. Are, I mean, like you may be Andre Drummond's agent by describing him as a superstar. Uh he's he's not a superstar. He's a good role player, and yes, he's earning twenty eight million dollars this year. But he is a unrestricted free agent next season. So this is the okay. last year of his contract. So they'll they're either trying to trade him uh, for an asset or for a pick. And Mitchell Robinson, who was the Knicks starting center, breaks his hand. He's out. So. Andre Drummond would help us to stay in in the playoff hunt. He's like he's a perfect type of player for who the Knicks need right now. Uh, the other thing is when you talk about shrewd management, Leon Rose and World Wide West and all the CAA guys who are running the Knicks front office now have done a really really good job of not panicking. And so since they've taken over for. All of the jokes, and I made plenty of them last season of how we signed nine power forwards. They were all one-year deals or two-year deals with the team option after the first one. And so no terrible long-term deals that they've given out, right? So they've been really, really shrewd 
in that way of not freaking out because Giannis resigned or because Chris Milton resigned, Katie, Kyrie, and spending way too much on someone else because the guy who they did spend money on, Julius Randle, is averaging 23, 11, and five and a half assists this, this year and was just named to his first All-Star game. Yeah, That's a really, really great signing. And they they hired a good coach in Tom Thibodeau who's getting the team to play hard, play good defense. You know, offense isn't totally pretty, but they're working on it. And R.J. Barrett is averaging 16 and a half points a game. He, he frustrates me for his inconsistent shooting, but for a second-year player uh, to be averaging over 16 points a game is really impressive. There's so much optimism for the Knicks, which, you know, not most optimistic, like they're going to win a championship in the next year or two. No, no, no. They still have tons and tons of moves that they'll have to get right to be a true playoff contender. But what people have to understand is just the fact that we're talking about them not doing something absolutely crazy is such a positive step for Knicks fans. And and they've drafted pretty well. And because it, like, they, like they drafted pretty well with uh, Emmanuel Quickly last year, who uh, has turned out to be a really, really good player for them. Their backup point guard is averaging uh, just over 12 points a game. Uh, this has been really, really impressive from the Knicks this year. And and when you talk about the high-tech shooting tracking system, <laughs> you know, all these teams have different gadgets and stuff like that in their training centers or, or things. You know, all these teams, they're embracing analytics, they're embracing t- technology and everything, trying to find that next edge. So who knows if this will be what unlocks someone's jump shot or help or whatever, but it's better than them not using any data. Right, like, do, do, do you know what I hear over and over again? I, I hear, I hear. At least they're not like completely like, complete idiots. Like, at, at least they're not like the Timberwolves, right? Yeah. Is that the bar? Well, look the the Knicks. The bar for the Knicks has been set so 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 low by just everything that's happened the last 15 years or longer that it's it's fundamentally bizarre that the Knicks are 500 and people are leaving Madison Square Garden high-fiving each other on 7th Avenue. Like, are people leaving Madison Square Garden? Do they have fan, are, are they leaving fans in? Very, very limited. It's like 10%-ish. It started last okay. week. Prices still ridiculous. Shout out James Dolan. <laughs> it's like 350 bucks to be oh, wow. in the lower level and like 100 bucks to be in the upper deck. And it's like, seriously? <laughs> okay, well, before we get into that, I'm curious about um, Julius Randle because okay. he obviously, like, in all the, not all the All-Star Cups I was listening to, it's not like I listened to like 12, but like in all three of the uh, NBA All-Star like preview pods I listened to. Um, he's getting some pretty serious, like legit buzz um, as a guy who's not just like filling a stat sheet. And as somebody who hasn't watched a second of the Knicks this year, I am very curious to hear your take on why he isn't just empty calories. One, it's because they're winning. So that always adds a more legitimacy to uh, players who 
for putting up good stats, right? If they're winning, it means that the stats are contributing to that. It's it it's also that he's he's doing it efficiently. He's shooting the ball well. He's passing the ball well. You're like rebounding. You're you're seeing kind of all the all the little things that we saw when he was at Kentucky for that first Final Four run of hey, this guy. He's not super big. He's like he's like six eight, six nine, but he's not a three and he's not a five. He's like really like a base up four who can do a lot of different things. And mm-hmm. this year, when when you're watching him, he's he's putting it all together where he's hitting jump shots. He's getting to the rim. He's rebounding really well. He's making good passes. Not not just like you know, he's not assist hunting. He's the, these assists are coming in the natural flow yeah. of of the game, which is something that's really really impressive and you know talk about before when he was a young player with the lakers and then with new orleans naturally you know you force a lot of shots a lot of tough twos mm-hmm. he's not or at least it doesn't seem like he's forcing as many of those shots you know yeah um and i guess as important as his like his skill profile this season is how how well it complements mitchell robinson because he's supposed to be like the emerald uh, young gem like the front court, right? Well, yeah, he he still fouls a lot, but that's just because he goes for every single block, and so he will block a lot of shots, but he doesn't necessarily know yet when to when when the best opportunities are. But also because Robinson is the classic uh, new five in the NBA screen dive to the rim, be a vertical spacer, good defender, uh, super, super uh, athletic player. And Randall can kind of operate on the perimeter and in the and in like that mid post. So th- they are a very good combo. And with him with him being out, Nerlens Noel has stepped in. But after that, they just need some more depth in, on the inside so that Julius Randall doesn't have to match up against fives in the East, which means like Bam Adebayo, Miles Turner... Yeah. Uh, Giannis, Brooke Lopez, those types of players, Embiid, who might be the MVP, like that could impact his offensive production too. Okay. And, okay. All right. I'm almost ready to give you um, a broader question. But um, what about RJ Barry? Like you said, he was an inconsistent shooter. The rap I've heard on him briefly is that. He's just an inconsistent everything. Um, like, where does he fit into the synergy of um, everything you've described so far? Well, he's obviously the the he's obviously the centerpiece young asset on the team. Pick third overall in the twenty nineteen draft. Uh, you know, obviously after Zion and Job ja Morant, this this you know quote unquote consolation prize. Uh, mm-hmm. Even though I don't view him that way, but. All of his stats this year are better than they were last year. He's scoring more. He's up two points a game. His free throw percentage, while taking about the same number of free throws a game, he's up from 61% where he was as a rookie to over 73% this year. Three-point percentage is up from 32 to 35, taking the same number of attempts a game. He's shooting 44% from from the field this year, better than 40% last year. He's playing more. Uh, he's he's frustrating in that there's there's nothing he can do to alleviate the Knicks fans wanted Zion and we got 
Barrett, right? Co- college teammates. It's almost like we got the other Duke guy. And so when you're watching Zion do just incredibly, unbelievably awesome things and dominate the league, you know, averaging 25 points, seven or eight rebounds this this year, you kind of wish that when you're watching Barrett drive left again and miss a floater, you're like, oh, like I wish we had Zion. But Barrett's progressing really, really nicely for a 21 year old, or a, or or he's going to turn 21 in in June. To do what he's doing in the NBA and and progress like he's he's on a upward trajectory, which is all you can really hope for for a second year player. And when you talk about Knicks doing Knicksy things, they would have found a way to like bury this kid's confidence, uh, <laughs> ship him out, just like make him not work on developing him as as a player. And Barrett's Barrett's done really really well, and I'm excited for him to to keep growing and. And, and developing because he's he's the he's the true guy who when, when you talk about a Luca which is kind of crazy to actually think about but, but, but when you talk about down the line yeah. Barrett's Barrett's the guy because we need a lead guard that's what we we need um, because they're not giving Emmanuel quickly enough minutes yet to, to figure out if he can really play point uh because you know politics of the, Leon yeah. Rose loves Al, <laughs> loves Alfred Payton, but uh, but but you know there's there it's weird to say like the Knicks have a good young player who's growing and developing the way that you would want to like this is all brand new for Knicks fans, and that's why there's so much excitement in the city about us one game over 500 Knicks team compared to the Brooklyn Nets. Who, That's what I was gonna say. <laughs> who might actually win the championship this this year? Like the Knicks, like New York City might be happier and more excited about the Knicks a seven game first round exit to Miami in a four or five matchup than if the Nets won the championship. So, is that what it feels like on the ground? Because I would imagine it's a bit hard to gauge given that you know it's shitty. The city is still shut down. Um, like, is there any tangible feeling around the city and, like, excitement about the Knicks? Like, is there buzz? Or is it kind of just, like, a message board's, like, I don't know, media thing? There, there, There's some buzz around. Like, you're starting to see some more Knicks stuff around. It's so hard because the city is still pretty shut down with all the COVID regulations, as it probably should be, just given the density of the city and just how fast the virus can move here. Mm-hmm. Such limited attendance at the games right it's it's not like you're, you're hearing about oh this guy went is oh they're going on saturday oh we're gonna go on tuesday uh but it's like it's it's from legitimate basketball people zach lowe mark stein those types of people saying howard Beck saying wait the knicks are kind of this isn't a fluke this this isn't something that oh it was a mirage like the Hawks started four and one, and they've come back to earth, or or the Cavs had a really really good start, and, and they've come back to earth. Uh, the Knicks are just plugging along, and and they're a mid level East team, which is something really really weird, and it's something exciting because you see, as you said, Twitter, as Twitter especially, Knicks fans don't know how to act, right? <laughs> like, I mean, you, you could. You hear in my voice all the questions. I still don't really buy into it. Yeah, <laughs> because like I, I don't know, you can only get smacked around so many times without uh, flinching the next time the hand raises. You know, and, and and you know this isn't nowhere near as 
cursed as Cubs fans felt or Red Sox fans. But for Knicks fans, it does feel like not that something bad's going to happen on on the court or or the field the way that Red Sox fans would say like oh some something something bad's going to happen like just waiting for it all to fall apart. Knicks fans are waiting for the Woj bomb of a trade that's going to destroy the team. It's it's not like a a play on the court that that we're cursed about. Like oh we're up twenty with four minutes to go, still waiting for somehow for the other team to come back and and win. We're more waiting for like oh James Dolan fires Tom Thibodeau because we're only one game over five hundred. So actually, can we dig into that because I, I'm very curious about what the phrase tortured fan base really should mean not necessarily what it does mean um what it should mean because when you say we're not as tortured as the cubs or the red sox i actually might think about disputing that depending on what your definition of tortured is because the cubs well maybe not the cubs the red sox have had some pretty freaking competitive teams um, over the years, it seems like their torture came as much from getting close and not quite cutting it as it did from being incompetent. And the same thing with like the Pats, uh, pre Brady and Belichick. So I don't know if that's something, they, if I would rather have like flat incompetence over like almost getting there and then falling short. It's, it's the idea of what's the worst form of torture, never being in the position to win or succeed or getting one out away like the Red Sox did in the 86 World Series and having the ball go through the first baseman's leg and playing game seven, right? It's, do you want to be so close to be able to taste the championship and success to have the rug pulled out from under you? Or do you not want to be in a position where you have any possibility of true championship level success? Because the Knicks made the finals in 1999 but everyone remembers the 94 team more because that team came so close to winning. They got to game seven, right? Mm-hmm. And so it felt like that was that was their year. That was the Knicks' chance. Jordan was retired. You're playing game seven. The Knicks were finally going to win that elusive championship. Obviously, Starks has a really, really bad shooting game, and the Rockets win. So... That is the torturous part about the Knicks on the true on the court because pretty much almost everything else has been just not getting all the pieces together by their own uh, choices. Yeah, uh, although I guess before I give a comment, I, I'm actually kind of curious. What would you prefer as a fan? Um, like as somebody who... I, I think is pretty steadily followed the Knicks over the past twenty-ish years, uh, for better or for worse. Like, what, what's your verdict? Given that you kind of experienced one of those two options. Look, I'm, I'm a, I'm a Ted Lasso fan. One of the best shows that came out this <laughs> this past year, and, and they have a great episode titled "It's the Hope That Kills You," and. <laughs> great Seinfeld episode also it is and yeah and that's the one that uh that's the one that that I would prefer I, I would prefer you know being in positions to win and to succeed and have to deal with a catastrophic terrible loss or ending a la oh, 86 really? yeah because 
because I want to care about something. I, I want to feel that emotion, that excitement, rather than just being numb of being so beaten down by like, well, we're never going to win. I'd rather feel like we have a real chance. It makes you, it's weird, but like it makes you feel more alive. I wouldn't dispute that. It definitely makes you feel more alive. Uh, what I would say is that if you're really despair, uh, full of despair, like I've been regarding the next or the past eight, nine years, you can just focus on something else. Um, you don't even <laughs> have to think about Like you can read a good book. You can like subscribe to the New Yorker and you can like, I, I don't know, like learn something new. Like I, uh, maybe you could like play 2K instead of watching games. I don't know. Like there are a million different ways to use the time. Um, I feel like if, if you're hopeful, um, not only in those close but no cigar situations does your emotional health kind of dovetail, um, but in the, I, I guess, less actively hope-inducing seasons, like the really um really incompetently managed seasons you feel like you have more of a reason to pay attention and i think that's probably the real crime because there are probably like six or seven seasons that you never had any single drop of a shot at all but because you got close before and because you have that small taste of what could be you really feel compelled to like follow along closely and i feel like that's the crime of, of all this like the season because I, I agree like really caring about something and i also think like a lot of sports is about the journey you know so like it, if you have a team that you really love rooting for and they don't get all the way like who, who really cares if you had a great time like rooting for them maybe if this ending was a bit sour but like i think the teams that aren't fun to root for um like if you're watching eddie curry and zach randolph um trade post-ups for um six months straight um that's the crime of um hopefulness and i i I don't know if that's worth the one or two really cool uh runs that really like get your emotions running i mean like when so so when you talk about like the bad teams right use the 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 next team from two years ago uh really really bad team but there was this prize at the end of this uh, there's this prize right of zion williamson once he was you know once basically he took the, the the floor at duke he was going to be the number one pick. And so you're watching the games and it felt like the goal wasn't to win an NBA championship. The goal was let's be so bad. We (laughs) draft Zion Williamson. And so with, with that, I get what, what you're saying about, you know, having forcing, you know, committing all the time to something with, with the, with the lack of, uh, end result you know especially with 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 teams that you know are going to be bad well you don't really you know i you i didn't watch all those games but like you're following along and like you feel like you're a part of the highs and the lows and to be able to do both is something that's really exciting to me at, at least instead of always just being beaten down by like well I knew this wasn't going to work out because even though we knew the odds were low, there was an 86% chance of the Knicks not getting the number one pick to draft Zion Williamson. We all talked ourselves into, we have them, right? Like it's, yeah. it's a lock. Yeah. I, I get, maybe that's just, the maybe that's just the difference uh, between me and you as sports fans. Like uh, as far as I'm concerned, just like call me if they get him. Like if they get Zion, give me give me a call. Like uh, then we then we can get excited. Um, I, I, and I understand the wanting to follow the narrative and that part of the joy 
in the upswing is having experienced the worst moment and being able to contrast the two. Um, and not only that, really identify with the growth, um, or at least what antecedes the growth, right? Like, I, I do understand that as, like, a really endearing thing. And that's probably why people care about sports in the first place, right? Like, it, it, it's a nice facts only for a lot of things that they hope to experience uh, themselves. But, like, I don't know. Um, I, I just feel like, it, like you were saying, like, this whole Zion thing was an 80, 86% chance not to end up with him. Um, and I don't know what the odds were to not end up with him or Ja. Um, but I don't know. It just seems like a freaking cruel way to spend your time watching watching a team hoping for them to be incompetent so you have a 70% chance to not get exactly what you want. That seems so torturous. And life is so short. Like, how could you... How could you follow that and stay sane? Well, it's because you, you want to have all the emotions. You want to you want to feel alive, which is the highs of the celebration of if the ping pong balls went a certain way, and the lows and shared shared despair of not getting him or losing a big game. That with the rest of the fan base, there's there's the communal aspect of sports that you're not going through something alone, even through all the highs and lows of emotion is, is really sometimes powerful and other times overstated by a lot of people. But, uh, there is something about when they show the, the video clips of the bars in New York pre COVID for any next draft or draft lottery or whatever, and whatever pick they get and whoever they draft, unless it's the number one pick, it's just everyone just boosts. Everyone's unhappy, but it's a collective experience, right? It's just yeah. something as Knicks fans is just like, oh well, we're we're this is we we have to win a championship so badly so that uh, Knicks fans and us included can stop looking at the team as this like torture device. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so changing gears, the NBA All Star Game is tomorrow. I am curious about what you think of the televised all-star draft format. Okay. Um, Wow. Okay. Can you specify a little bit? So when you're asking what I think of the televised draft format, what about the format um, in particular do you want thoughts on? Just like, what do you think of just watching LeBron, or this past year was LeBron and KD pick teams? Like, what do you think of the whole thing? I mean, I think if you're an NBA fan, it has to be freaking awesome. Because the whole reason, um, at least I love the NBA, is kind of because it's like, it's an odd way to put it, but basically like a masculine soap opera, like... They're a bunch of like really awesome personalities, um, all it, all sharing spaces or at least sharing this narrative with each other, mm-hmm. um, and you kind of get to follow them, do whatever you want, right? Um, and obviously, everyone has their favorites, but I feel like if the league is about the personalities of the most important players, then why not double and triple down on that? Um, but like, why not double and triple down on that in every circumstance you get a chance, right? Like, I feel like half the news I get about the NBA isn't from the court. It's from 
post-game pressers and like yeah. clips about what people said and or like drama from like people trading tweets or something right <laughs> and, I, and like i don't know i just feel like if that's the appeal of the league then like the draft format is awesome not only because you get to see um like lebron and katie uh I guess candidly exist with four of the most iconic media people, obviously the inside uh, the NBA guys on TNT um, that the league has, but also like <laughs> for better or for worse, you get to, you get a little glimpse in, into the uh, politics between uh, them and the other best players in the league, which yeah. I'm sure aren't always rosy. Um, but I think tying back to like the broader point, like that's why you follow the league, you know, like you love, these big stars you identify with some of them in some ways and like you love to watch the drama unfold um and like i don't know i i just think that's fun to watch just from like a human perspective i i mean i don't think it's a hot take to say nobody's really tuning into the all-star game to like watch like great um rotational defense yeah (laughs) (laughs) like that's not why the thing exists right um so I, i don't know i I I, I, lo- I like the draft format. I also think uh, the idea of conferences is a bit. It's not completely idea because I understand you want to minimize travel. But um, in twenty twenty one, I think you can break down the geographic barriers for the sake of creating a slightly more entertaining product. And I think just picking from the whole pool of like all stars is I don't know just a more interesting concept. You know, like yeah, I, I, I don't see a reason to have like geographic constraints on like any part of the uh, any part of the all-star experience i feel like the whole if you're gonna do it you might as well just like do it right because it's such a production logistically anyway yeah it's i'm a fan of the draft i'm especially a fan of how they've televised it so that you have to see the order in which players get get picked what (laughs) players what lebron and kd or what it was Giannis, uh what kind of their their facial reactions are about, hey, someone picked him, or oh, like say like, oh, I really want him, and saying like, great pick, and then you, and then Barkley has to say for his trademarked almost at, at this point, they're all good picks, they're all all stars. There's not a bad player there, uh, which is one of my favorite things that Barkley says. But as you said, you get a little glimpse into the politics of the league and. This year, you know, the big storyline was that both of the Utah Jazz All-Stars who are eligible for the draft because Mike Conley replaced Devin Booker mm-hmm. last night. Those guys were the last two players on the board and the Jazz have the best conf- have the best record in the NBA. And it's it's was interesting to see those two guys standing there cuz you could say, "Okay, in an All-Star game format, Rudy Gobert is not a you know traditional pick for someone who you would want for an all-star game of heavy iso perimeter play and dunks right but donovan mitchell has competed in the dunk contest i believe he's won the dunk contest he's an exciting guard he's a terrific shot maker he can make a bunch of faraway shots he's a he's just an exciting player i was stunned that he was picked uh where he was, which is in the last two, for just the type of player that he is. Really? In, in, in an all-star game format of a guy who can do a tons of awesome dunks and make threes. Yeah. I, I guess, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I find it hard 
to believe that LeBron and Katie um, conspired to do anything, mm-hmm. let alone like freeze out the Jazz guys being picked early in the draft. Um, I, there's probably like. I, I don't know. There are probably a ton of explanations as to why they could have been like left around. I I don't know. I guess, I guess if you're picking somebody like Vucevic and like Donovan, then like I don't know. Um, but that being said, like I, I I do think the whole speculating about why is like the point that it's interesting, and that's also kind of why I I didn't necessarily resent. I just didn't appreciate the effort by the league to kind of shield the guys from scrutiny about where they were picked. In yeah. a draft order in prior years, because I feel like, dude, it, it not only does it not matter that much, because it's the opinion of two people in the league as opposed to like a consensus, right? So, like, yeah. if Katie and LeBron choose to pick you last, it doesn't mean that you're the worst All Star, right? Like, it's ridiculous. It's also um, top, it's, it's it's also because LeBron and Katie or the All Star captains aren't picking the eleven other players they want to join them on the team in the whole league. They're picking out of the eight other fan-selected all-star starters and then the coach-selected uh, reserves. Right, but I think beyond that, um, beyond that point, which is basically that the selection process is sort of weird rules, which basically means that it's hard to draw any conclusions about how players stack up relative to each other, like, skill-wise from the selection process, right? Um, and also, like... And also, you know, player health is a big thing. Like, no one is going to sit here on this podcast or or in the NBA and say Jimmy Butler is not an all-star caliber player. He 100% is an all-star caliber player, but he missed a bunch of games this year because of COVID or an injury that that caused him to not be selected or get as many votes or whatever it was that uh that's also un- like another factor too right but what but what i would say is that despite even in addition to all that your job the reason why you're so well compensated aside from the revenue that you generate well the reason you generate so much revenue is because you're a public figure which means that if you're getting paid for the revenue that you generate because you're a public figure you're getting paid in part to be a public figure and Part of that means sometimes things don't always go perfectly in PR land, right? Like, yeah. it's okay if you get picked in the latter half of the All-Star draft. Like, that's kind of your job. And it's not even like you're getting picked in, like, of every NBA. This is literally the 24, like, hottest players in the world. And, like, you just so happen to be number 23. Like, who freaking who, you know? Like I, like, I just feel like that's a part of the process, even if it's not particularly pleasant. Like, if you don't like it. Like, do something about it. Like, prove people wrong. I don't, I don't know. It's not like we're talking about, like, the most vulnerable vulnerable people in society, mm-hmm. right? Like, like, these are all NBA All-Stars who are at the top of their profession, which also happens to be the top ring of, like, whatever they do in the world. Like, if you're at the top of the NBA, you are the top of what you do in the world. So, like, it's not like we're talking about vulnerable people here, right? Um, per se, at least, like all will compensate. So I feel like if that's the case, like I don't know, just like put yourself out there. Like, what's the worst that could happen? Like, ego gets bruised a little bit. I don't know. Like, I feel like it happens to everyone. That's part of being a professional, you know. So I do think there is a way to improve the draft format, a, to make it just a little bit better, which is okay. don't do the draft 
on TV in a studio a few days or a week before the game on TNT. It should be okay. picked the way that everyone picks teams when you're playing pickup basketball, <laughs> which is the two captains on the free throw line and the other all-stars, the the other uh, 22 guys be on the baseline and you go back and forth. And, and that should be how it is because that would make it's super exciting going to the game where is that people would then want to watch the game to watch what the draft was. It would make it exciting to see someone, as you said, someone who in any draft, someone's going to have to be picked last and a pick of all stars being picked last with a bunch of all stars does not mean that you're the worst all star. It just means that, uh, it, someone picked it, their teammate. Someone it picked literally it. doesn't mean anything other yeah. than that you were picked last in the All-Star draft this year. It means nothing else. Like, you can't reliably say anything other than that. Like, like okay, LeBron picks Ben Simmons every year. Well, Ben Simmons is a LeBron guy. He's rep by the same – he's rep by Rich Paul and Clutch Sports. They've known each other for a long time. Like, of course he's going to take Ben Simmons. Does that mean – even though Ben Simmons is having a terrific season, does that mean – that he should have been picked over Jalen Brown, who's also having a tremendous season, or Paul George? No, but the, like it's... Well, the key to what you just said is that they're all having freaking tre- tremendous seasons. Like yeah. it's literally nitpicking between them. They're all great. <laughs> like or like my favorite one, which is LeBron. I guess has picked Damian Damian Lillard every time in the All Star draft, and has done you know the the point at the watch his wrist and say it's Dame time. <laughs> you know LeBron. He's clearly trying to recruit him to the Lakers. <laughs> like, you know, Lillard, you know, it's been rumors since, I guess, since he's gotten there that because Portland's a small market and he's such a tremendous player that everyone is always throwing him and CJ into these uh, mock trades and the trade machine. And Lillard, to his credit, has stayed in Portland and has been awesome there an MVP candidate, taking them to the playoffs, Western Conference Finals. But everyone loves the idea of what if we put him with LeBron and Anthony Davis in L.A. And not saying that LeBron's just going to recruit him to the Lakers all weekend, because I have no idea. But, like, <laughs> clearly LeBron thinks Damian Lillard is really, really good. And so does everyone else. And it, So, I... I... Maybe this is unreasonable. Maybe it's not unreasonable, uh, unfeasible, um, given that these guys are people that are very concerned with their brain. But I, I feel like why not lean it all the way into the politics side of it? Like, I, I, I guess maybe the media would like run, run to it and um, that would drive wedges in between a lot of the league's most important players, which wouldn't necessarily be great. But like, why, why not just run with the uh, uh, interpersonal drama side of it a little bit? Like, I, I, I like that's not going to de- decrease traffic, is it? Like, no, no, like, way well, that... well, two years ago, LeBron picked Anthony Davis when he was a reserve. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Giannis said, isn't that tampering? Because that was right that's after all those trade rumors where it got leaked to Woj or Shams that, that the Lakers had made everyone on the roster available except for like LeBron. <laughs> so I totally, totally agree with you. We saw two years ago the famous video of the, I think it was the All-Star game in Charlotte in the hallway when Katie and Kyrie were talking and 
I guess Kyrie held up two fingers and and all the Knicks fans said like, oh, he's talking about they have two max spots or free agency or coming to New York. Well, they went to the two max spots in Brooklyn. But but like all of that stuff, it's it's all just what, as you said, makes the NBA fun because the NBA people watch because people really like the NBA is because of the personality of the players and feeling like you get to see them as as people, not just as amazing athletes and during the all-star game you get to see that like i cannot wait for during the all-star game for zion williamson and zach levine to have a dunk contest during the game both playing for team durant like just trying to one-up each other but it's not only the like getting to know them personally it's the fact that like basketball is a team sport of course but there are five people on the court for each team so each personality really does have a pretty noticeable impact on the final product unlike football in a lot of cases so like if you follow a personality then you could really trace how it translates into the product on the floor which makes like it it like intertwines the interpersonal and the athletic side yeah. In, in like in a way that's like really hard to like parse apart, um, which is part of why I think it's so compelling because like part of the, like I, I don't know if you're looking at like I, I I feel like Dame's whole persona is that he's got huge like <laughs> he's just got guts out the kazoo yeah and you can follow that off the court and really be compelled by it but last few minutes of a close game you know if you admired Dame for his huevos you know what's happening right <laughs> yeah like like and I, I feel like the fact that you can get both it's not just like on the court or off the court like it's both and they're inseparable and they both happen all the time is the reason it's so compelling although there's one part of this draft format that i think you're neglecting that i want to touch on okay i, I don't think it could be I, I i think it's important to mention i don't want to say i don't think it could be overstated because it probably could be overstated but um I think it's important to mention how important the TNT guys are to, I guess, creating the interpersonal comfortability that formats formats like that rely upon uh, to kind of thrive. Because I, I, I don't know. I just feel like I just feel like if you throw the NFL Fox guys in, in like an All Star player draft of like I don't know Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady, Lamar Jackson, Pat Mahomes, like. It, it, it would feel like stilted and like, yeah, that's, I mean, yeah. that's for sure. The, the TNT inside the NBA guys have done a great job for so many years of making that a funny show, a place where they can joke around and have fun. And when they talk to players, they can have fun this past year and year and a half. There's been a lot of really fair criticism to those guys, especially to, to Shaq for, uh, mispronouncing guys names or, uh, sometimes making it wonder about is he watching the same game as everyone else? Like, does he know about certain guys and just truthfully fairly too, probably some, some jealousy as naturally Shaq was one of the most dominant players ever. And he just didn't get paid in in the way that he would have if he played now, just because of the TV rights and and everything like that. But because he paved the way in the late nineties and early two thousands, that's why, best big guys in the NBA, like a Rudy Gobert, who isn't one of the five best players in the NBA, but he's one of the best 20 or 25 and one of the five best at his position, 
can sign a max contract of 180 plus million dollars, you know? So you're totally right in that when those guys, when LeBron and Durant this year are on the, are on like the, the video feed from, from their homes in New York and in Los Angeles, they're I'm sure, as you, as, as you said, more comfortable joking around it and being closer to their true selves than if they were on a very, very stilted, today you know nbc program yeah i i don't know i i i don't know how i feel about the criticism um because i feel like well the criticism that you were describing because i feel like they did pave the way and they aren't getting their fair share of the fruit um and i guess you could debate what their fair share would be but i feel like that's just the nature of any business right like the people who laid the foundation aren't necessarily gonna uh aren't going to bear um, quite as um, fruitful, uh, whatever, whatever the phrase might be, right? Like, I just feel like that's the nature of uh, growing a business, and mm. I think that's okay, but I don't know. I, I would cut, cut them a little bit. Although, I guess they've been on the air for a really long time, so, like, they, they should figure out and, like, get over it by now, but I don't yeah. know. Yeah, or I, I just feel- it's, you know, it's, as you said, it's totally, totally natural. Shaq would be if he was, if you put 1998 to 2003 Shaq in the NBA right now, he Jesus would, Christ. he would yeah. still be one of the three or four best players in the entire world, right? Not only athletically though, if you want to put his personality into 2021's like oh, yeah. ecosystem, he'd be like a global icon. He more he, than he was. He would do four or five fake retirements from Twitter. There would definitely be some type of burner uh, account scandal with him. But like something completely funny of like commenting on his own posts or like just like making jokes. Like as you said, he would be tremendous. Shaq in the TikTok era, outstanding. He, there would be so much first take or terrible, you know, outkick.com coverage of does Shaq care more about his TikToks <laughs> than playing the way that people talk about Juju Smith Schuster, except more because Shaq is better. At basketball, uh, and by the way, the answer to that would have been yes. He absolutely does care about TikToks <laughs> as much, and he, and he was pretty open about that. He's like, "I'm more than a basketball." Player. Yeah. So, look, it's you, you. You are totally right, but but it's also like, as you said, it's you paved the way. Like Shaq was extremely well paid during his time, but not to the same degree that, uh, to, in his mind, a player who wasn't as good as him. But Shaq is one of the 11 or 12 best basketball players to ever walk the planet Earth. And that's not going to change anytime soon, even though contracts are just getting higher and higher. Because as we've seen in, in the television market, people have TV and cable to watch live sports. And so they sports just become more and more valuable, and especially as the NBA gets more and more popular, it's going to earn more. And with the 50-50 revenue sharing agreement they have, if the leagues are any more, the players are, are the players are going to get more in salaries. So it's Shaq was a huge part of why people care about basketball, and 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 people still love talking about the what if of Shaq and Kobe. That's still one of like the biggest NBA topics, and they stopped playing together in two thousand and four. I, 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 I never thought that was a, a very 
interesting discussion to have because I just felt like the answer was like no, of course they couldn't coexist, and like there was no world in which they could. Right, like, but but which but that's what makes the what if discussion fun because we're like, well, what if they could have figured it out? Like, how many championships could they have won? And I I, I, th- I think that there's some what ifs that are like very reasonable to think about, um, and there are others that are just like outlandish. It's definitely outlandish, but whoever said sports debates weren't outlandish. <laughs> that's that's a good counter. All uh, right, because yeah. All right, so as as we get into our final segment here, this this is going to be I'm gonna, I'm going to give the floor to you. Oh God! You, you can share a You know, we we've made it clear you're a sports fan, but you're not living and dying by every you know bounce pass on league pass every night for all the teams. Just from your casual observer, what have been some of your favorite storylines to follow this 2020, 2021 season? Oof. Okay. That is an awesome question. Thank um, you. <laughs> awesome question for a casual observer. Um, my favorite one to kind of like quietly resent is everything like LaMelo. Um, resent? Why? He's been playing awesome. I mean, he's, he's fun. Awesome. I, I just feel like people, not people, I don't, I hate using like the royal people because you can never describe everyone in like one broad swath, right? But I feel like a lot of the sports media um, takes what's like awesome, interesting play and gives it an inordinate amount of airtime that isn't even close to proportional to how interesting it is. Like, I just think it's cool. He's got, he seems like he's got some pretty, Stellar court vision. Um, seems like he's he's got like a pretty, I don't know, fugly jumper, but like uh, mm-hmm. ugly rather. Um, but like I don't know, like but I like what what what's what's worth top store like what's worth like a blocks day after day about that you know like I, I just don't well, see well, well part of it is because he has several million Instagram followers and when they put up a Lamelo Ball highlight on there social media feeds it goes crazy so they're like well if we put it on tv uh people will watch right and i understand that and yeah but i i just don't like it like i yeah. understand the uh economics of that your job it's also traffic and the metal gets traffic yeah it's also just he's a new player in the nba even though he's been in the basketball world atmosphere being talked about for a bunch of years now because of his brother and the whole craziness with his family in lithuania and everything but He's a rookie, so it's always exciting to show rookie NBA plays just because people haven't been watching LeBron James highlights for 17 years, even though it's still un- incredibly amazing to see LeBron or Durant or Steph do these just bonkers things on the basketball court. It's weird to say, but like, oh, yeah, Steph hit another sidestep 29-footer in someone's face. Like, okay. Because we're just so used to him doing that, even though we're like, that still is really amazing. But when LaMelo throws an incredible pass and someone dunks it, it's new because it's it's just a new highlight that people haven't seen before. So then maybe my critique should be broader than the NBA. I, maybe I just don't think people appreciate the great things that are like right in front of them enough. And not to say I do. I'm pro- If I'm loving the critique on people, then I'm probably susceptible to it too. Uh, but maybe it's just that people need to appreciate it take more time to appreciate the greatness that's in front of them instead of anxiously searching for the next greatness 100%. Um, and i think a perfect example of that would be 
that LeBron James, um, that was my uh, Jay Farrow Jesse. <laughs> anyway, uh, so that LeBron clip James, is now on YouTube, by the way, after not being on YouTube for several years. That is now back on YouTube. I, you don't have to tell me. I know. Um, <laughs> one, one of my favorites. Um, but anyway, so I think case in point is that LeBron James is I, I, getting an 18th season unlike the way, un, the likes of which hasn't been seen this side of Tom Brady um, in terms of quality, um, astonishing durability. Because, like, the dude is, like, in year 18, he's taking one game off, and he's, like, playing whatever it is, right? And, like, I don't know. Like, how, like... I, well, I he's trying to win the MVP this... He's trying to win M- the MVP award this year because Jordan won five, and LeBron has four. So if he gets to five MVPs, it's another... That that That's my theory, at least, that it's... He knows who he's competing against, which is really just he's competing against Jordan for the best Jordan. of all time. And, but, and and I've already made my position clear that it's not really a debate. LeBron is and will be the greatest basketball oh. player ever when his career is over just because the stats and the counting yeah. stats will will make it just ridiculous. Um, and there is a real chance that if Anthony Davis stays healthy, which is a huge, huge if, yes. yeah. but LeBron could end up 6 for 12. But when his time in L.A. is done. But here's my point. The first time LeBron made an all-star team, do you know know who was on his uh, all-star team in the East? It was 2004. 2004. It was 2004, 2005. So do you know who was on his all-star team in the East? So that year, was Jason Kidd still with New Jersey? Mm -hmm. So it was like Jason Kidd, Vince Carter, uh, I'll say... These guys weren't on his team, but but played against him in that where like Steve Nash, KG, Shaq, uh, Duncan. Uh, this is a good question. Uh, was was like Joe Johnson an All Star? Brandon Roy? No, Roy wasn't in in the league. Roy was in the league. Uh, that was 0-5-0-6. Um, you know, like Jermaine O'Neal. Uh, uh, so, uh, but but that's the crux of it, right? Yeah. Most of those players are not only far retired, they've been retired for so long that they're eligible and inducted into the Hall of Fame. Right, right. Um, right. So I I, I I, just can't wrap my head around the fact that that is true. And LeBron has not only maintained but enhanced his approach to so many. But the point is, like... I, who cares what Lamelo is doing? Like, why not just bask in LeBron? Like, right, yeah. he's there. Who knows how long it's going to last for? And like, it's one of the five greatest athletic feats of the twenty twenty first century. Um, to yeah, this point. It, like one of my one of my favorite writers is a guy named Jason Gay for the Wall Street Journal. Yeah, and, oh yes. And he wrote a great piece in twenty in the spring of twenty eighteen. LeBron's last year with, with the Cavs that was centered around like. I'm keeping my kids up at night and having them, you know, I'm, I'm pushing back their bedtime so that they can watch LeBron because yeah. what, because what he did in that postseason with the four seed Cleveland Cavaliers and dragging them mm-hmm. with his greatness to the NBA finals was one of the best accomplishments of his entire career. And he has so many accomplishments in his career. Uh, and so, 
everyone talks about when when LeBron's doing his thing and when he's playing and when he's playing great. It's almost like it's it's now everyone is saying is we don't take this for don't take this for granted because eventually he will retire and stop playing. But it's just natural as you know, as you said, humans are looking for the next big thing, and will not or feel like we're not appreciating LeBron enough while he's here because he is the greatest basketball player ever. All right. But you know what else is natural? Identifying your prey and then hunting it. And then like finding it, right? We've evolved past that, right? Or not evolved like completely, right? Like obviously, but it's the point is it's 2021. We don't need to do that anymore, right? Like I think we have Amazon. Yeah. I think we can muster the self-control to resist what might be a little bit more uh, 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 primarily a bit more satisfying to bask in an accomplishment that eudaimonically is just like off the charts and uh, and like i'm not saying don't talk about lamello like it's exciting cool just don't freaking put him in the a block every day like yeah it's true like like i'm not saying don't enjoy it i'm not saying don't watch the highlights it's just like Instead of taking that extra, all the t- the time that you use between like a C block story and an A block story, right? That difference in time, rather than using that on Lamelo, why don't you use it on other astounding stories in sports that might not? Well, I guess the answer, of course, is that like the traffic thing. Like your job is to keep eyeballs on the screen well, and like. Well, 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 also different shows have different purposes. Sports Center. Was a highlight show was created. They tried to go away from just pure highlights when Jamel Hill and Michael Smith had it. Got tons and tons of criticism. A lot of it completely unfair because that show was actually pretty good. And so people just say Sports Center is highlights. So, so just show me highlights. And then on other shows, you can talk about the bigger stories and have more nuanced opinions. But just on Sports Center, I'm drinking my coffee. I'm eating my cereal before I have to go to work. Just show me some dunks or whatever, right? And, and I understand that, and I don't necessarily oppose it. But if you're picking dunks, I don't know. I did just like cool. It's a Lamelo pass. Like I, I, yeah. I guess watching something for 18 years is going to get a bit, uh, a bit uh, repetitive after a while. But I, I don't know. I'm well, just like, well, I'm glad that you agree with me that LeBron will be the greatest, is and will be the greatest basketball player ever. Uh, dude, we haven't even talked about the. Off, off the court legacy, um, yes, which I think is just as important to the greatest of all time debate, which is also why I don't, I don't know. I, uh, anyway, that, that's a, a that's a whole other conversation. But yeah, I I, I, I don't think that there's much of a um, smart, especially because I, I don't buy the Michael went six or six uh, argument. He had two years off in the middle. I just, I just feel like uh, like if he had to go, and this is my argument by the way, of course, like. A million people have given this, but like, right. I don't know. You can, if you didn't give him the time off in the middle to recover, and all anecdotal evidence su- suggests he was getting kind of burnt out anyway well, after the first three feet, then yeah. Well, well, you watched, you watched the last dance, right? Absolutely not. You didn't watch it. I try not to watch anything while it's at like the hype of like the media craze because I think it's just impossible to get an actual read on it. Um, so that that is crazy. Saying. Last April, when nothing was going on, when we were all locked down, you didn't watch it on Sunday night. I, I do. We were talking during. I had more than enough on my to do list to get through. I was plowing through um, all the stuff that I never got to because I was so wrapped up in college i i can't believe this 
that this is your homework assignment is, is to watch those those six and a half hours or seven hours but it's not it's not happening i can i it's i i have at least a year on things that were like crazy same thing goes through like tiger king or whatever the hell else was blown up last spring you gotta have some nescac pride jason hare was williams williams grad uh was he yeah he played baseball uh so during the last dance they show at the end of the as as you said the the end of the 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 first three-peat was just the team looks super burnt out it was it showed just how crazy difficult it is to win three in a row and to make the finals and and to do all that lebron i don't think people you know he made eight finals in a row missed one missed one with the bad lakers team and then made it again so he's made <laughs> 9 out of the last 10 that, that's finals what, that's that's what i'm that's what i'm saying like it's not it's not an adequate comparison um, yeah uh, which is why and i'm not saying like uh, that means lebron is better i'm just saying like i think the argument is invalid that mj made like made and won all six of the finals uh, that he like appeared in. i don't know like you, you, like also you could say lebron's competition in the finals too was much higher than mj's competition because mj didn't have to play a team as good as the warriors were four years in a row and because the 2016-2017 warriors team is in my mind the best nba basketball team to ever play um and really lebron lost the first year in dallas probably should have won that year but all the other years he lost he didn't you 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 could say too that even though he was the best player he wasn't on the best team or it was a toss-up like those two years to to, to san antonio the first warriors year where everyone on his team got hurt then once they added durant and it was you know done basically because durant is incredible um so it's look we there will be many, many a year to have an MJ LeBron debate, but in my mind, the the debate is over. In that he is he is the best basketball player ever. I, I I don't have a problem with that, even though I like obviously I'm not the one that would be qualified to come to a conclusion one way or the other. Uh, that just doesn't sound wrong to me, you know. Like I I feel like if I gave you something like. I don't know, Elgin Baylor is yeah. the greatest basketball player of all time. <laughs> Something in your head is like, snap, like, what? Like, <laughs> where, where'd you get Elgin Baylor from? But if I if I give you, like, LeBron is the greatest basketball player, that is that rock that started, like, nothing in your head is going to be like, ew. It's yeah. just going to be like, uh, well, which well, is a different reaction. Yeah, and, and look, he's on pace for to be the all-time points leader in like the top 10 or top five in both the rebounds and assists. He's been to 10 finals, probably more assuming Davis stays healthy and, and he stay stays healthy. He's won four. He's been to 10. He may go three in a row with the Lakers, uh, which isn't out of the question because of how good Anthony Davis is and how well LeBron is playing as well. Uh, and just the landscape of the Western conference and the NBA right now, it's, there's a chance that he ends his contract with the Lakers, which he said when he signed there was four years. His son, Bronny, is draft eligible if they change the high school rule. That it was four years in L.A. and then play with his son and then potentially retire like 40-ish. 
I, I, he could go. He he could win three state championships and finish his career with six titles, which is like the mythical Jordan in twelve appearances, and it would be twelve of the last thirteen finals he he would go to. That's pretty freaking unassailable. I don't know. I, yeah. I, I, I feel like the qualitative um, aspect of the comparison matters as well, though. That for for whatever reason, MJ seemed to have a slightly higher peak of fame and I guess just mental control over everyone that he was playing against. Like, there's a and maybe that's a Look, matter of personality as opposed to greatness. But you're also right. You cannot quantify the impact that Michael Jordan had on the brand of basketball in the shoes, Gatorade, the aura, the aura, uh, you know, around him. That stuff can't be quantified. I mean, like, I guess you could put a dollar figure by it, but that that transcend transcend and transform the NBA like Larry and Magic saved the NBA and built what the modern NBA was or or what the modern NBA is back in the 1980s when they joined the the association and Jordan took it to another level and LeBron has carried the torch even farther yeah I, I think I think that's a really astute way to put it and I, I'm not sure that it's worth parsing through any farther because I, I think at uh, like, I, I think you're basically just going to end up agree to disagree on most other things past yeah. that. Um, but that being said, before we're done, I did want to ask you about the Nets because we talked about the Nets early on and how nobody in New York really cares about the Nets. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they trade for one of the three best players of the last decade. And it seems like still nobody cares about the Nets. So I, I love your on the ground report as somebody who's been in Brooklyn. For the for this whole period in which James Harden was acquired, and uh, for someone for for someone who's been in Brooklyn for twenty three years, except when I went to college. Um, so, so is is my intuition right that still, even though they're the prohibitive favorite in the East, not a soul in New York cares about the Nets. So I want to go to as as far as that. I would say that the pandemic has really affected you know it's affected so many more important things but it's affected the buzz in the city around the sports teams just because barclays we're not getting fair accurate attendance counts for for barclays right we're not seeing how many people are going we're not seeing how much the prices are up on StubHub or ticketmaster you don't really get to see that right and so Look, there there are plenty of kids around as they're going to school who who I see when I'm out to get you know for a walk or, or to get coffee who have a Nets hat on or you know back when it was wasn't snowing what it felt like in the winter every other day wear like a Brooklyn Nets T-shirt or whatever yeah, it is. Yeah. I, I think there are definitely people who and young fans who definitely like Brooklyn and the Nets and like having a team in their borough, but I think it's way too early to judge just because of what COVID uh, has done to New York in that not having fans there are really also too, you have a lot of people in New York who may be the biggest Nets fans ever and all in on this team who also wouldn't want to go to a game if they had more attendance available just because they're not at that point of comfort in the pandemic or whatever it is to go to a big live sporting event. So there are definitely people who think that 
the Nets are super fun and super exciting, which they are. Uh, and so, but like everything in New York, you know, it's the playoffs. It reaches a different level. The Knicks are probably like the only, the Knicks and, and the Mets are, are the only two teams where it feels like people get insanely jazzed up about the regular season. And it feels like everyone else, it's the same kind of level of, of, of interest, but it gets jacked up if they're in the postseason. So that's what I would expect for for the Nets, which is New York kind of is also a bandwagon town. Like how many people did, did we know in high school who never once talked about the New York Rangers, but once they were in the playoffs, it was like Ranger Nation, right? <laughs> yeah. I, so so that that's what I'm expecting and, and would be my guess is once it comes playoff time and the Nets make it to the second round or they make the Eastern Conference Finals, we'll start seeing more and more Nets talk, Nets action in, in New York because especially next year, if they're also really good again next year, once we're hopefully past this pandemic and able to do more things as vaccinations are up, you know, all, all that really positive stuff in terms of vaccines, uh, better testing, better medicine that next year we'll see people who go to the playoff games because they want to go watch a playoff team, right? Uh, that, uh, that answer was very diplomatic. I was, uh, <laughs> and I appreciate the accuracy and the honesty. I was hoping for a fiery, like, indictment. Uh, <laughs> that's, like, brand around the city. Um, but it's okay. That, that was, that was, uh, that was look, fun. Look, look. Right. New York loves a winner more than anything else. You're, and, you're right. And so you're if, absolutely right. And so if Kevin Durant and James Harden and Kyrie Irving win a championship for New York, it won't have the same impact that a Knicks championship would, but there will be plenty of people going to the hypothetical ticker tape parade down Broadway if that sort of event ever becomes allowed again because people in New York love love winning and love being around winners and especially yeah. in sports teams i think it's all relative I, I i don't know i think nets and the islanders are um, are pretty far away well uh, one uh, because the islanders are on long island so it's different it's very hard aren't they in barclays they were but now they've gone back they went back yeah because well, barclays because barclays wasn't designed for hockey and so yeah. the, and so the seats and you know people who are paying premium seats. So, you know, the arena was designed for basketball and was designed for concerts. And so it wasn't designed for hockey. Yeah. Okay. I'll buy that. <laughs> Is there, there's nothing to buy. That's the reason why they have a, they have the Coliseum. I, I mean, I'll, buy, I'll buy that. It's something that makes sense. Not, not that okay. I buy and don't buy. <laughs> Uh, the, oh, oh, I, that makes sense to me is, uh, is what I meant <laughs> Matt I always appreciate the time before we let you go here what are you reading what's what's on the bookshelf up in Portland where where you are people love your your book segments so uh, we got we got to give you you know two minutes to talk about what's on your bookshelf I, right now. I didn't know I didn't know that my book segments were uh, were coveted at all. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, well, not I don't know to the book question. I, I, obviously, there's always a well thought out book choice on my night table. Um, so there are two that I'm chipping away at at the moment, and the choices I have I've made currently um, exist in context of the work I'm doing. Right. So like I'm working a ton. So when I finish 
my work day and I've used my brain for like 12 hours, um, I chose two things that hopefully you, I, I can like go to for, um, not necessarily, um, simple content, um, but eat like easy flowing prose. Um, and I think I hit that, um, hit that thing uh, criteria on the head with both of my choices. Although I'm not completely sold. You're dragging um, out the T's, Matt. Give us the titles. Look, titles don't mean anything without the context. Um, so, <laughs> so, so the titles um, are one. The first is called One Minute to Midnight. Uh, by Michael Dobbs. It's about the Cuban Missile Crisis. And the second okay. is The Body uh, by Bill Bryson. So One Minute to Midnight is a narrative history of the Cuban Missile Crisis written like a novel. Okay, uh, obviously, sounds good. It, it, yeah, I mean, it's awesome because the Cuban Missile Crisis is like, in all like geopolitical senses, is freaking fascinating. But that's a different podcast entirely. Um, but basically the book is... I'd give it like a B plus, A minus in terms of like how well the prose flows um, and how easy it is to like comprehend. But um, I, I, I just love like the narrative style um, in terms of like something to turn your brain off to that isn't completely like out of this world, right? Like mm-hmm. the Cuban Missile Crisis is like concrete enough um, to not have to like imagine or put your brain to work to like imagine a whole nother universe. Um, but like, I, I don't know. That's so that that's my number one. And then the Bill Bryson book um, is like a beginner's guide to the human body, and it basically takes all the anatomy and physiology. Um, that's really, I, I, I as somebody who's reading it, seems really complicated, um, and breaks it down into like very layman, uh, easily understandable terms. Gotcha. Um, and I think he does a really effective job uh, of doing so. Like I am about as bad of a biology student as you can find. Um, by far my and, worst grade in high school. Yeah, not for me, never will be. Um, <laughs> I understand what he's saying, and it's really freaking cool. The human body is an amazing thing. Um, and I think, especially in tandem, because if I, I always have two going at the same time, because I think as with anything, uh, the constants between your mood and how you choose to spend your time uh, determines like how much you enjoy yourself more than anything else. So like, uh, I think those two together, given how different they are, like topically, uh, make for really nice reading table material uh, or night table material because I can really diverge, uh, like depending on like what my mood is, or diverge like topic wise from whatever um, my day was, depending on what my mood is. So like. That's the night table. That, that was a bit longer than you asked for, but um, I, 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 I th- <laughs> th- those sound like two intense books, but but good books. Matt, always, always, always appreciate you coming on and, and sharing your very unique thoughts about the world <laughs> and especially the NBA and and our beloved and hated New York Knicks, who once they're in the playoffs, hopefully. By some act of God, you will come back on. They, they don't have my love yet. <laughs> um, uh, that's that's my final word. But anyway, dude, you know you always have my time if you want it. Um, always a pleasure. 
That'll do it for this episode of The Double Double. If you like this podcast, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever your podcast, and you can subscribe, rate, and review. Five stars would be much, much appreciated. Also follow us on Twitter at DBL underscore DBL podcast. We'll be back next week. Until then, take care and make it a great day.